0: And use code GET One Hundred. That's code GET One Hundred at PrizePicks.com slash Get One Hundred for a first deposit matchup to one hundred dollars. Picks, daily fantasy sports made easy.
1: And welcome into the newest edition of the
0: Fantasy Alarm Fantasy Baseball Podcast. I'm
1: your host, Colby Conway at Colby R. Conway on Twitter. And with me as always, the Matt Sells at the Salesman. On Twitter, Matt, how is everything going for you, my friend? Uh,
2: we are good. We've got uh, quite a lot of baseball to talk about. We, it feels like we're in mid-season form here, even though we're only about, what, 10 days into the season at this point. Quite a lot of stuff going on in the field of uh, baseball.
1: Absolutely. And we've seen – I watched. able to watch a little bit of baseball this weekend. I unfortunately got to see something I didn't want to see, and that's where we're going to start it off. Uh, Pittsburgh superstar, yes, superstar, <laughs> O'Neal Cruz, is going to be out 10-12. to 12 weeks with a fractured ankle that he suffered sliding into home it was an ugly slide but the end result was even worse hate to see it pittsburgh fans a few of us fantasy managers who invested into cruiser early this season will be without his services for the next three to four months uh i am already assuming it's going to be the full 12 weeks um for him or i guess yeah three or four months he's going to be out so i'm expecting it to be probably that full time when he does come back Pittsburgh is going to be very careful with him. They're not going to be in a World Series run this year. So when he comes back, there is no need for him to be a menace on the base path. So really it comes down to this, Matt. Keeper in dynasty formats, you're holding on to Cruz because the the ceiling is there. Yes, it's going to stink for this year, but the absolute fantasy ceiling is immense. If your league has IL spots, you're going to want to hold on to him if possible. But realistically, if, if a fantasy team bites the injury bug even more than we've already seen, at what point is it going to take you to drop crews from your roster?
2: Um, it's going to depend on, A, how in like how quickly the injury happens, right? If somebody on your roster gets injured, like this week, let's say, and they're going to come back sooner and you only have one or two IL spots, then you got to start talking about dropping Cruz because the Pirates themselves said four months is the expected timetable to get back to the Pirates roster. So, you know, we're halfway through... April at this point, just about. It's the 10th of April, so four months puts it at, what, August? How much are you conceivably going to get from him for basically the last six weeks of the season and assuming that they're cautious with him and won't want him running all that much or certainly avoiding uh, collisions as much as possible, given that's (laughs) what broke the ankle in the first place. Um, So, yeah, that's, look, if you don't have an I.L. spot, I'm dropping him. It's as simple as that. Like you, unless you have massive, massively deep, deep benches. Yeah. But other than that, I'm dropping. Yeah. That, that's what it's gonna come down
1: to. So then let me ask you this: When you look at the team, no true backup shortstop replacement for him is G-Huan Bay. The big fantasy. I don't even want to say a winner here, but it seems like his at-bats are going to be preserved now, and there's going to be – because he's he's the logical move to short when looking at the the current state of affairs for Pittsburgh.
2: Correct. Yeah, he played short for them at AAA. He's played some short for them in a cup of tea last year. Uh, We already talked about him, I believe, last – or on Thursday, we talked about him. I had written him up in the prospect report saying he's a man of many talents. In terms of where he fits defensively, now he's going to be basically locked down to shortstop. So if he's available, I would absolutely go pick him up right now. Uh, You're not going to get the power you were expecting from O'Neal Cruz. The guy's hit 17 total home runs in 330-something professional baseball games. So clearly you're expecting about eight a season at that rate. Um, But the Steel's upside is there. He could steal about 30 bags a season. Uh, he won't kill you in batting average or on base percentage either. So that's that, you know. And then for second, which is where Bay's been playing a lot of, I would I would guess that they would go with Rodolfo Castro, right? Like I don't think Nick Gonzalez is ready to come up yet to be another mid, middle infielder for them. So I'm gonna go with Rodolfo playing second and Bay playing short. And Cruz was leading off pretty much every game against
1: right-handed pitching. Uh, Key Brian Hayes is leading off against the lefty, So I'm trying to, as we're recording this on Monday afternoon-esque, I know they're facing a lefty, so we'll kind of have to see what what comes about with the Pittsburgh lineup. But, yes, G. Wambay, contact, steals, that's what you're going to get from him. Moving forward in Boston, Adam Duvall, a quite a bright spot to begin the seed and is going to go to the I.L. after an ugly-looking wrist injury. Bobby Dahlbeck gets the call up. This Boston team has shown us early that they are going to need the score runs. That's just what we've seen from them. That's what we know. The injury to Duvall is going to hurt the offense. Is there? Who do you think is the, the replacement in center field? Like they have some middling bench options that they could go with, maybe like Ryan Tapia, Or do you think we see at some point, I know Dahlbeck got the call first, but do you think if the injury is bad enough to Deval, Jaron Duran could be coming up soon?
2: Um, I think they need to see him control the strike zone a little bit more, You know, get back to what he was doing towards the end of last year in spring training. He was working on his plate discipline some. I think that's what they mainly need from Jaron Duran uh, at this point, because we all know the speed is there. His defensive ability is very good in center field. Yeah, I think Dahlbeck's going to get gonna get the bulk of the time. Now, listen, they're still doing tests, according to Alex Score and the Red Sox. They're still doing tests to figure out exactly... What's up with the wrist? It's not a good sign that they preeminently put him, you know, or preemptively, I should say, put him on the IL. Um, that indicates that there's something that's going to take at least, uh, you know, a week and a half or so to be dealt with. Um, so I think things would have to be pretty bad to get to Jaren Duran at center field at this point. Yeah, and then any interest
1: in the guys? I guess like a like, Tapia, any any interest in them or just. Maybe outside of the
2: deepest formats. I mean, out in the deep formats, I'm fine with taking a flyer on Tapia, I guess, depending on how much playing time he's gonna get, because at least he showed he could swing a decent bat in Coors. Now it was Coors, right? But the, mm-hmm. the Blue Jays never really gave him a shot last year, to be honest. So that look, Bobby Dahlbeck does not does nothing for me for fantasy. Nothing really intrigues me about anybody other than Tappy at this point. And that's just because we've seen him do it before. In Atlanta, we 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 herald
1: the Braves for their contract work, right? Correct. The the crazy deals that they tend to get with these players. I mean, they're paying them a lot of money. Don't get me wrong, but right. in grand scheme of things, that they could be also making a lot more. This off season, they brought in Sean Murphy, gave him about 70, 72 mil. Over the next couple of years behind the dish, just for him to kind of play second fiddle to Travis Darno to begin the season. Now Darno goes to the IL with a concussion. Darno started the year pretty hot, whereas the same may not be able to be said for Murphy. Darno opened up 333 with a 424 slug, still doesn't have a home run, but again, five RBIs, three runs scored in eight games with a 330 average behind the dish. Isn't too shabby. So let me ask you this kind of facetiously.
2: Now that Darno's out, is Murphy finally going to play nearly every day in Atlanta? I mean, I don't think they really have a choice, right, unless we see them call up some some catching prospect we've never heard. I mean, it's not like Shane Langoliers is still there in their farm system. He was dealt for Murphy, right? It's not like William Contreras is still there. They traded him this offseason. So the other two dudes that we would suspect would come up are there. Are they going to get a backup catcher? Sure. Are they going to play him over Sean Murphy? I really don't think so. You know, I know it's been causing people a lot of, of uh, frustration that Sean Murphy's not not playing more, but I think it's more to do with he may not have picked up the pitcher tendencies to this point. Like, I'm wondering if it's he doesn't have the rapport with the pitchers at this point. To speedily go through the pitches that they would normally throw because there is the pitch clock, so I'm wondering if this is going to be a little bit of trial by fire with building the rapport and getting him out there and and whatnot he has to play yes, he's going to we know it i mean, mean he's, he's the done, better catcher there's no there's no doubt he's the better catcher,
1: oh for sure, and now it's just a matter of I think now this is going to be. Everyone who invested into Sean Murphy, now we're going to get what we expected. Regular bats middle of a potent lineup. It's time to make some fancy magic happen. We'll have to see when Darno returns what happens. If Murphy hits very well during the stretch, is Murphy's case for playing time more? Or when Darno comes back, does Atlanta say, we're just going to go back to what we did because it was working through the first eight games of the season? That we'll have to see. But Murphy's talent should win out. So Murphy gets acclimated to the pitching. In the pitch clock, and there's more comfort there with him behind the dish, it'll all even out. I wouldn't fret about Murphy just quite yet. That's correct. Aaron Savale to the IL. I believe you said it was an oblique issue. For fantasy purposes, Savale can get you some innings, post a reasonable ERA. He isn't going to miss a ton of it at bat. So, what should fantasy managers be expecting here? We may not have a timetable for Savale yet, but he, he seems like a guy where his production shouldn't be all that hard to replace
0: off free agency or the
2: waiver wire. Correct. He's not, a, he's not a fantasy SP1 or 2, or maybe even an SP3. He's kind of enforced into that role for Cleveland because Tristan McKenzie's injury. Um, but in terms of, like, he's got solid ratios, but the strikeout rate isn't off the charts. Um, he's an inning 8 number three, number four starter, generally speaking, in a major league rotation. So there's that. They called up Peyton Battenfield, who basically is the same type guy in prospect form. He's not one of their top um, ace-caliber prospect uh, guys, you know, like a Daniel Espino. Um, he is, or even a couple other guys that have, you know, kind of shot up their ranks lately. Battenfield's an innings-eating, you know, maybe number four starter when all is said and done. So we'll see. He's not, like, if you wanted to replace the with Battenfield... Okay, but, like, there's also, like, seven dudes on your fantasy waiver wire right now that could replace Savali. They sure they sure can. Another kind of
1: underwhelming fantasy starter, could I say? Zach Davies, he's going to the IL team, has said that Dre Jamison is going to jump into the rotation. We've seen it so far this year. Jamison already has a save, which is kind of interesting for fantasy purposes because he bounced to the bullpen. But it seems like he's going to be given a chance to – Not only get a start, but potentially stick in the rotation. We've seen it already this season. He can miss bats. His slider, very good. He can miss bats. We'll need that third pitch to develop if he's going to stick in that rotation. I know a lot of people were clamoring for Brandon Fought to come up, and he was one that I wanted to break camp with the team in the rotation. So Zach Davies goes to the IL. Dre Jamison is going to get the first crack to stick in that rotation for the team. Brandon Fought might be looking a couple weeks away from getting the call there. So, to me, Jamison is the most intriguing fantasy-wise. I mean, both are more so than Davies once Fought gets up to the major league level. Um, but any any thoughts here with the Davies injury and mainly some of the the young candidates uh, to eventually hopefully overtake him in the rotation long term?
2: I mean, this is arguably addition by subtraction, right? Davies has never been a guy that's gotten anybody excited. Um, he's been traded like four times in the last three years and. Every time he gets traded, the fan base is that the the meme with the guy with the thumbs down behind the plate. That's what the fan bases are like every time they get uh, Zach Davies. So uh, I'm with you. I think Jerry Jameson gets the first crack at the rotation. Um, I think they would prefer a third pitch to develop for sure. We've seen what happens with two pitch starters. Does not work out well. Um, so he does have. High leverage experience in the bullpen, so if it doesn't work out in the rotation, they'll just move him back to the bullpen. He could be Arizona's version of Rangers Suarez, who was in the the bullpen and then moved to starting rotation, and that seems to have worked out
0: pretty
2: well for them. Um, I don't like thoughts coming up anytime soon. His first few starts at AAA were not good. Uh, Granted, it is the Pacific Coast League, which is a hitter haven. He does pitch his home games in Reno. Which is not a great place to be if you're a pitcher. It's not... (laughs) That's not an easy place to go get out. Um, But it's more so the control that's led to some ratio problems. He's just missing the zone, and then when he has to come back into the zone, he gets hit hard because they're, you know, (laughs) professional hitters, knowing how to hit baseballs that are in the strike zone. So I think Flott's going to be a little ways off. Um, I think Jamison... I think ultimately probably stays in the rotation even if Davies comes back. They'll find some other place to stick Zach Davies. Would it be cool to
1: get the fantasy swingman closer starter? Sure.
2: That'd yep. be really fun. That'd be like the
1: fantasy baseball equivalent of the whole Taysom Hill being able to put him at quarterback and tight end thing. Be kind of cool. But don't think we'll see that. I'm hoping Jameson sticks in the rotation personally, so consider me a little bit biased. So, Matt, last Monday we talked about it. This Monday we'll talk about it. If I were a betting man, which I am, next Monday we'll probably be talking about it as well. But closers, this position is just so unbelievably fickle in injuries, performance, stories, everything, and anything can happen with this position. So let's start with this. Andres Munoz, right deltoid toy train, going to the IL. Seattle has playoff aspirations. I think those who want Matt Brash to close, I think we're getting cute and overthinking it. Correct. He throws a frisbee. Yes. Sometimes two frisbees at the same time. It's that just mind bending, I guess you could say, or physics defying some of his stuff. However, ask the catcher, ask Matt Brash himself, ask his manager. No three of them have any idea where it's going. No. So, mm-hmm. so they don't know where it's going to end up. For a team like Seattle, they need safety and security in the ninth. Paul Sewald, or Sewald gives them that. So to me, if you're picking up Matt Brash, your league has to have the, has to value holds in one way or another. Saves holds, just holds, whatever. I don't see him getting a ton of save opportunities, so Wald seems to be the guy, for me, that's going to be the ninth inning guy in Seattle. Are you, are you in the same boat?
2: I am. He didn't, you know, Paul uh, Seawall didn't exactly do anything to lose the job last year. It was just figured that when they made the trade for Munoz a couple of years ago, knowing that he was injured, that when he's fully healthy and geared up, he would be the ninth-inning guy. Munoz has the stuff to be a ninth-inning guy. He's not healthy, so where are they going to go? Seawalt. I don't see any reason why you would put Matt Brash in the closer role. Uh, he reminds me of that scene in uh, Bull Durham where New Clelouch hit the mascot five times, walked five guys, gave up five hits, got you know five strikeouts in his start, and, like, That's a Matt Brash game line. Like, Mm -hmm. nobody has any idea where that pitch is going when he lets it go. I don't think it has anything to do with removing the sticky stuff from the pitcher's arsenal or a pre-tacked baseball or anything. I just think he puts so much spin and so much action behind it that it's just going to wind up anywhere. And if you have a fantasy starting
1: rotation that's uh, a bit light on strikeouts, but they're very good maybe in the ratio department that are outside of the strikeouts, then Brash might be the perfect compliment. Just right. understand it. It might hurt. They're, they're, they're going to be, you're going to love the inning and a third with four strikeouts and you're going to love those, but just get ready for the, the two thirds with two strikeouts, but four walks, three earned runs and everything like that. So just yeah. I mean, there might, might just be just outings
2: out. with infinite whip because he doesn't get anybody out and he gives up two walks That's and true. a hit and you get an infinite whip on the day. Um. So yeah, like have we had to build around, you know, we needed a, an average pillow for Joey Gallo. You need a, a ratio pillow mm-hmm. for Matt Brash. Yep, that is that is
1: exactly right. Now, of course, our favorite team for just about everything, the the Dodgers, in terms of how they, you know, the phantom injuries that we talked about in years past, and Dave Roberts just being the king of. Kind of saying a lot, but saying nothing all at the same time, which is a skill that person I love. But when you look at the Dodgers bullpen this year, there's only been one guy who's been very good who also happens to be a ninth inning candidate. And Dave Roberts said, I'm reading this from DodgerBlue.com, but Evan Phillips is clearly the most consistent performer versus, versus lefty versus righty, Roberts said. What that means day to day, when he's available, he's probably going to be in the highest leverage. So I would say he's probably going to finish more games close more games than any of our guys right now. So, Matt, the first thing that jumped at me, we've seen it pop up in recent years, highest leverage is not always the ninth. Correct. So, to me, this is like, Evan's our closer, but he's not our closer, but he'll probably get the most opportunities, but I'm not going to tell you how many opportunities the other guys also are going to get. Because at the end of the day, if Evan Phillips gets 28 save opportunities and – I don't know, just say when Alex Reyes comes back, he gets 27 save opportunities. Dave Roberts wasn't lying. Correct. He got the most opportunities. You know, we're like he Gratterall. He, he was right there too, but Phillips had the most. He's not right. wrong. So Phillips, based on this, we have to pick Phillips up. He's got to be rostered. You have to do that. But just what I know he pitches for the Dodgers. But just what kind of upside are we talking here? Because basically he's the closer, but he's not the closer. But he's going to be treated as the closer, but he's not the closer again.
2: Correct. Two things stood out to me. Yeah, two two things stood out to me there. One, he did not use the phrase "he's our closer," Mm -hmm. Um, and I don't know if that's a we don't want to put the label on it because he may freak out kind of thing, Um, or he's not big into. Like specific roles, which is weird because for his like 11 years as a Dodgers manager, he's had a single solitary closer like each year. And everybody everybody knew it. Right. The fact that he didn't go out of his way to say Evan Phillips is our closer? Little interesting. Second thing that was interesting was the high leverage comment could mean the seventh inning. Like, If it's a one-run game and the heart of the opposition's order is coming up in the seventh inning, that's the highest leverage spot, right? Because you've got to protect the save then. The guy's not going to get credit for the save in the seventh inning. He'll get a hold because it's a save situation. But that is, by most managers' accounts, the highest leverage situation of that game. So does that mean that Evan Phillips is going to get the seventh inning to keep the save? in place, and then they'll piecemeal it after that, whether it be uh, Bessia or Gratterall or Reyes when he's back or whoever else they want to throw out there. Could be. I, I'm with you. Evan Phillips is essentially the Dodgers' closer. However, don't be shocked if they have 50 save chances and he gets 28 of them and the other people combine for, you know, 22 I doesn't mean it's a hundred percent Phillips. Yep, Yeah, I think that's the way to go about
1: it. If, again, if he's out there, you got to pick him up. You just have to, based on this. Just know that he, you know, he is not the closer the same way that other guys are for other teams. Where like, if they if they have been pitching back to back days, they're getting the night. There's no Correct. question about it. That's just the difference here. So, <laughs> Kansas City, Rollers Chapman, is he good again? Simply put, you look at his numbers, the strikeouts are there. You know, all of his expected stuff is nasty, 99th percentile expected slug, 98th percentile expected batting average, 100th percentile strikeout rate. He is pitching for Kansas City, so save opportunities may be few and far between. He's on a one-year deal, likely going to get traded. So that's something to think about in the future. But for the interim, uh, just what can fantasy managers get from Chapman
2: in this current iteration of him in Kansas City? Look, the numbers don't lie. He's been good. Do we know why he's been good? Yeah, I would say it's no pressure. Like, compare the pressure of trying to close out a game for the Yankees versus trying to close out a game for the Royals who literally expect nothing, right? A little different. They just want to finish at 500 and they'll be happy. The Yankees want to get past the Astros and into the World Series again, right? So, you know, the pressure is, is definitely different And I think that that gives him a little bit of life. There's less weight on his shoulder, so to speak. Now, is he going to get traded at the deadline? Almost assuredly, because Kansas City needs help. He's a rental piece, basically. They'll get, you know, a decent prospect for him. Does that also mean that he's going to be closing games after July? Probably not. If he gets dealt, I would assume he would be the setup guy. to somebody who just wants to bolster their pen with another you know, heart-throwing lefty. Uh, I would take him right now, though. Like, if he's there and you need saves, why not? And, by the way, those of you that are like, well, the Royals aren't going to get very many saves, here's the thing, they win close games. Like, they don't score a ton of runs. But when they win, they're safe situations. So, my rule for closers is I like to target the teams with mediocre offenses because, you know, they're not going to blow people out. Do we... You know, Clay Holmes is great for the Yankees, and Ryan Presley's great when he's healthy for the Astros. And, you know, we just talked about the Dodgers and their high-scoring offense. And, heck, even the Blue Jays are lighting up the, the scoreboard and whatnot. Here's the problem. They're more likely to win games 10-1 to than 5-3, to right? Mm-hmm. Especially the teams with really good starting staffs. They can shut down the opponent and then score a bunch of runs you're not going to get a ton of save chances, right? So I look for the closers at the, at the mediocre offenses who are going to win games 3-2, 3-1, 4-2, 5-3, somewhere in there, right, where, sure, they may go off and blow people out every so often, but that's the surprise. That's not the norm. That's been my rule for, for closers for a while. Well, it's when you look
1: at the, the league leaders right now, like Blue Jays, Jordan Ros four saves, then you have Pittsburgh, Ben Nars with four, Pierce Johnson for Colorado with three, Bautista with three, Sewall or Sewold in Seattle with two. Like, you're you're absolutely right. I and mean, we look at Chapman, he's been very good. Enjoy the fantasy production now. Correct. Keep in mind what can happen later, but enjoy it now while it's at. So, Matt, before we wrap it up here, a couple quick things I just want to talk about. Early season starts, it's very easy to overreact. Or maybe it's also something where we should look at maybe it's not an overreaction really diving into their numbers so a couple i just want to get your quick thoughts here in terms of buying or selling some early season starts let's start in minnesota with trevor larnik has been the beneficiary of quite a few injuries in the minnesota lineup to say the least when you look at the numbers at face value pretty good take a look at the peripherals and the expected statistics and it tells a slightly different story so once Minnesota gets all healthy, do you see Larnick sticking in the lineup, or are you just buying or selling the overall performance of the first week plus of the season? If he
2: continues to produce, when people are healthy, they will find a way to get him into the lineup, mm-hmm. right? He's got to stay hot to prove that he's figured something out, because the last few times he's been up with them, has not been all that productive. He is getting the benefit, you know, the benefit of more bats because they do have guys that have been injured. Max Kepler just went down with a knee issue, um, so that should give him some more at-bats as well. So right now I'm holding on him. When the at-bats dry up, I'm fine dropping him.
1: In Milwaukee, Brian Anderson, we talked about him on the last podcast we did the the end-of-the-week edition one last week about as a waiver-wire free agency pickup. He's got three home runs in nine games this season. If he hits a home run every third game, that puts him on for 54 homers for the season. While it is his first year in a hitter-friendly park, that is not a number I expect him to hit this season. Uh, Walking a ton this year. Quality of contact is pretty good when you look. at Exit Velo's up, barrel rate up, hard contact up. And while he is slugging 741, his expected slug is still pretty high at 639. So he's obviously playing out of his mind right now. Regression is going to come. But, again, first year in a very good Ayrs Park run after spending over half a decade in Miami. So, uh, is Brian Anderson the start? Are you buying or are you
2: selling? Yeah, I'll buy it. Look, there's regression coming. I'm not expecting 54 home runs from him.
0: Um, well, 50 will do.
2: Yeah, I mean, I don't think he's getting there either. He's going to cool down, obviously. But there's a couple things in his, um, you know, to his benefit here. He's multi-positional. He qualifies at third in outfield basically at every, you know, fantasy site you look at. He's playing full-time third base right now because Luis Urias is injured. So, you know, what happens when Urias comes back? Well, he can either stay at third and they work Urias in a few different places because they can he can play multiple places, or they put Brian Anderson back to right field, which is where he was playing before Urias got injured. But either way, I'm buying on Brian Anderson.
1: And then we'll go – I'll give you a homer one here to wrap up this week's episode. I'll, I'll throw one close to home for you. But Victor Robles, we've been kind of chasing that 2019 season for years now. And here to start 2023, looks pretty good. Average at 3.87, The strikeout rate's at a minuscule 8.1%, which is going to come up. It would be exceptional for him. And it seems like he's done a lot, not necessarily with just the – his overall swing, but some of, like, the discipline at the dish as well. So it seems like there have been some pretty good improvements for Robley. So while he may never get back to 2019 again, are you buying the start
2: for 2023? Uh, Yeah, I am, actually. He, um, you know, he's worked on some stuff in spring training, being more patient at the dish, which has basically been his drawback the last two years. Uh, He's looking for a certain pitch each at bat if he's not getting it. He usually doesn't swing, though. I will say he did swing at four sliders out of the zone uh, with bases loaded in Colorado the other night, which was very frustrating to to watch happen. Um, but I'm buying. Look, he's he's tweaked some stuff. He's more mature. He's been talking about his approach at the plate now. He's going up with you know confidence that he hasn't had in a while. Good to know. Are we getting the 2019 Victor Robles? No. Are we getting that 17-28 season? No don't think so. The power, if he gets the double digits, would be nice. Could we see 20-something steals? Sure. Um, the average, uh, anything better than 265 would be a pleasure to have from him. But he's going to continue to get at bats. He's a defensive whiz in center field. They don't have anybody to replace him. Um, and I don't even mind him hitting ninth in the lineup. It takes pressure off of him. He gets to do his approach the way he wants. Um. So yeah, I'm gonna buy Victor Robles.
1: Yeah, hitting in the bottom of the order doesn't scare me. He's hitting 6.43 against fastballs this season,
2: compared to less than 100 with a whiff rate north of 30% against. Yeah, stay out with the curveballs, balls. man. Just, just avoid them. You'll get fastballs plenty of times. Nobody's gonna throw you nine consecutive curveballs in a, in a, in a bat. Yep. Yeah,
1: absolutely. So. That will do it for this, this edition of the Fantasy Alarm Fantasy Baseball Podcast. Keep your eyes out. We will be doing a uh, – we'll probably record the next one on Thursday, talking about weekend streamers and waiver wire free agency pickups, including some fab bidding on those guys, as well as, as well as any unfortunate injuries that may occur by the time you hear from us again. So head over to FantasyAlarm.com. Check out all the great content we have there, sports betting, your seasonal lineups, daily contests. We got you covered at FantasyAlarm.com. So we'll see you later this week with the next edition of the Fantasy
0: Just visit prizepicks.com slash get100 and use code get100. That's code get100 at prizepicks.com slash get100 for a first deposit matchup to $100. Prize picks daily fantasy sports made easy.